listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 528. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our discussion of season two of the Apple TV Plus series Foundation. It is a dark day here in Maryland, dark weather-wise and just dark emotionally, and, and you know, we're not going to talk about it, yeah. but w- what I did want to point out, especially for our international listeners who likely have no idea the uh, the ravens as you may surmise lost yesterday and cincinnati joe mm. checked in uh commiserating on, on the facebook page um but the ravens lost to the indianapolis colts and i know you were certainly old enough Absolutely. when the baltimore colts yes left town and it was devastating for me as a 20 something yeah. individual i was 12 so, yeah, so for you, it had to hit it was, even it was, harder. Yeah, it, that's that's a pain that still doesn't really go away. Right. Now, that was in 1983. So now 40 years, wow, 40 years later? Yeah. Yeah, 40 years I, later. I mean, the pain of that losing to the Colts, for me, has gone away. I think for me, yesterday, it was just we lost to an inferior team. Yeah which is as i tell my wife all the time i can handle if we lose to a good team it's when you lose to the bad ones that well and starting like a objectively terrible quarterback right who who gashed us yep even anyway I, i was i i went to see my daughter play up in new jersey so we were uh, but we were listening to on the radio on the way home. Thank you, SiriusXM. Man, that was. But but luckily, I could then flip it over and hear how the uh, the Orioles won against Cleveland, and now the magic number is three for the Orioles to uh, win the American League East, which yep. would be awesome, and certainly be beneficial in the playoffs. But anyway, let's get to uh, podcast stuff. Enough of that. Uh, we are wearing black armbands as we record. <laughs> we want to thank our Patreon supporters, and, and we want to welcome two new patrons into the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch family. Uh, thank you, Bert, who I believe is in the Netherlands, and Joe Herbers, a.k.a. Cincinnati Joe, who join Fred in the Netherlands also, Mike, Cindy, Mark, Travis, Richard, Alan in England, and Suzanne. I think it was Joe that pointed out, it could have been Bird, I think it was Joe that pointed out that there was no link on the website. And, you know, I used to always say there's a link up in the upper right-hand corner, but I was forced to redesign, actually redesigns, a misnomer i was forced to choose another website template right. <laughs> at podbean and you can say, we'll let you say redesign Dave. okay <laughs> so anyway i i figured out how to do that so now on the website you know in that little you know, tab at the top it's clearly marked over on the right side at the top if you want to become a patron Sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us with, you know, any feedback, comments, whatever. All right. What are you watching this week? Something new, maybe? Um, actually, yes. Finally, <clears throat> I did uh, last night uh, tune into something new. Um, I realized I, I could have continued. I, I got two seasons of succession down 
But I just wasn't up for watching it last night. So instead, I watched a little bit of Lower Decks, uh, which I don't know if you've heard about that one. I have. I, yeah. I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. Yeah. I'd heard of it. Uh, I got to experience it when they had the crossover episode with Strange New Worlds earlier, uh, about probably, I guess, about a month ago. Um, and so I thought, yeah, what the heck? And that is a extremely enjoyable and funny uh, show. You know, it's animated. It follows these, you know, they're, they're not like, you know, it, it's funny to take it. You know, they're following the people, it's basically the red shirts, right? The people who do the everyday stuff on a starship rather than the, you know, the captain, the first mate, and the chief medical officer that were accustomed to the stories focusing on them. And now it's focusing on, on the uh, lower decks, right? As it says. So Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Not, not dissimilar to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yes. Right. Um, so it's, it's really good. Uh, you know, um, they got Jack Quaid does the one voice. I can't remember the, the girl who does the other main character's voice, but uh, you know, they both, when they transformed into live action characters on the Strange New Worlds episode, they were both fabulous, uh, really, really great. And I don't know, it's enjoyable. I'll probably keep up with it. I also went back to uh, Shorzy for a little bit. I, I know I talked about this before. Uh, one of my absolute favorite shows, Canadian uh, ice hockey show. Uh, it's very, very, very funny. I loved it. Uh, and a sad note that I've watched the last episode of Winning Time, uh, which was a really good show. Uh, they definitely did not end it where they wanted to end it. It was after the... Uh, 1984 NBA championships, which if you, I'm not a fan of the Lakers nor of the Celtics, honestly. Um, but if you are a fan of those two teams, then you know very well what happened in 1984. It is not where the place, uh, they're coming from the, uh, the perspective of the Los Angeles Lakers. They definitely did not end the show in the place where they wanted to end it with the 84 championship. And they had to add like a, you know, a couple title cards at the end to, you know, here's what happened to everyone that we would have explained on the show had we been able to continue it, you know, so really great show. Loved it. Uh, sad to see it go, but, uh, you know, what, what they have should be, I, I think in the long run, people will really talk about this show as, as being like a really great example of like fictional historical fiction, sports shows and everything. All right. Sounds good. You know, I, I've been, really desperate to find a genre show to pick up and i just can't find something that really interests me so as i've said you know my wife will surprise me quite often with the genre shows that she really uh, latches on to but this weekend she needed a break from all the dark crime shows that we've been watching and i totally get that so we checked out the netflix series transatlantic which has been popping up in my netflix feed for gosh i guess a few months now but it's about a group in europe that helped artists musicians writers mainly flee europe ahead of nazi imprisonment mm. and it's it stars jillian jacobs who i'm thinking like wait a minute I know her. She was in Community. Yeah. And, and she Ironically enough, she's also a winning time. Oh, okay. There she you go. She plays Pat Riley's wife. Oh. Well, she stars as an American heiress who uses her money to finance this underground group that's 
working behind the scenes with some people in the American consul, you know, to get these famous artists out of Europe and, and, you know, you know, they're actual artists. So they're using real individuals uh, historically takes place in France, 1940, 41. But what I found fascinating and, and I knew this, uh, and I'm sure you did too, that it really hones in on America's reluctance to enter into the war in any fashion. And, really wasn't until Pearl Harbor in December of 41 that we got into the war. And then of course, Germany declared war and, you know, again, it's history from there. So, so that was really pretty good. I, I went into it a bit reluctantly. The other Netflix show that I checked out last night because my wife fell asleep early, who is Aaron Carter? And again, I don't know if you've seen that pop up in your Netflix feed. Oh, I thought you were asking me a question. No. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. That's the name no, of the show. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, okay. Um, and, and I guess what ends up popping up in our Netflix feed, you know, is based on, you know, the algorithm that, that they, they use based on the shows that we watch. So maybe more Star Trek-y and Star Wars-y shows pop up in yours, but even though they're not on Netflix anymore. But anyway, um, I'm kind of a sucker for these spy thrillers that feature the unassuming mom that has a dark past. Okay. And, you know, one that I may have mentioned a few months ago, In From the Cold, you know, this mom's taking her daughter to, uh, you know, some city in Europe because her daughter's a high-level figure skater and what we learn is that mom was actually a Russian spy known as the whisper mm. because of her ability to, you know, kill quietly. And of course she's brought back into the fray and that's kind of what we see with Aaron Carter. And, um, you know, I'm not going to go any further. I'm a little disappointed now that the episode gives us her past. It's not, unsurprising it's just not what i thought it was going to be so you know anyway and then finally the new season of sex education dropped oh i forgot about sex education uh, so darn it episode one we watched and i'm thinking wow this really went downhill Oh. And and then see episode two, three, four. I think we're about on five now. It got really good. Now, okay. <laughs> I'm sure our Republican friends out there love sex education. Dude, is there a more woke show anywhere? <laughs> it, it is the wokest, the wokiest. Um, I, I don't know. And uh, it's, I don't know what the word would be for that. I don't either. The but most uh, woke, I guess. But it really is good. I mean, you, you know, and again, if you're a Doctor Who fan and you haven't checked it out yet, at least to get a sense of sh- who Shooty Gatwa is as an actor, uh, it's worth checking out. But, and, you know, ironically, his Doctor Who outfit is, is going to be toned down significantly from his outfits in sex education which well, ordinarily I mean, it's the other way around <laughs> right true 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 but uh yeah you would the the, the outfits he wears in sex education are, can can be pretty out there so yeah so. which is great but uh yeah i i am so looking forward to him uh being dr Hill. me too yeah <clears throat> yeah 
Yeah. Even though we got to wait for a while and yeah. you know, uh, see David Tennant again. I was going to say we'll uh, start worse things. Yeah, we'll we'll struggle uh, through David Tennant and Catherine Tate. All right, on to Foundation, episode seven of season two, titled "A Necessary Death," written by Eric Carrasco and David Cobb, directed by Mark Tondarai, released August twenty fifth, two thousand twenty three. You know, I'm not sure what's the biggest reveal in this episode i mean i mean the the first thing that pops into my mind is sarah's i gotta call it what i really feel like it is this reckless behavior and whether or not it's going to come back to haunt her i mean yeah and, and, and you know i i know as you've said and you've you know, on the one hand, I want to say you've done really well not bringing up the novels. On the other hand, I, I think we'd all agree, what's the point? Right. Because they've departed from the novels so much already. Yeah. It's a totally different story. Right. It's just Absolutely. that universe. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's great. No, yeah. I've went on record. I'm totally okay with that. So, I mean... I, I just don't know how else to call what it is she's doing. It's almost like, are you asking to be killed? Well, it's right. There's actually two ways that I kind of look at it. And, and the one is, not that I think she's trying to get killed per se, or that her desire for vengeance for her family is such that she doesn't really care if she lives or dies, but she does express to um to dawn right someone she says basically if i if i do that they'll kill me oh he tells her to call off the wedding she's like no they'll, they'll kill me so clearly expresses a desire to live there but by antagonizing demerzel especially after she saw that you know that demerzel is is a robot right like you know like you you literally saw her with half her head sliced off and then you're going to go and like get in their face like Mm, I don't know about that. You know? Well, right. That is, again, that's another one of my questions. Should she have played the robot card this early? I feel no. But, yeah, me know, too. She might have. Again, I, I think there is, at least with Enjoyer Rue, I feel like there is maybe some plan that's happening here that they're just laying the pieces for it and, and they ultimately will will spring the trap because – Exactly. As you said, right now, her behavior seems incredibly reckless. Um, but I, I just feel like it's actually part of some kind. You know, we see her bringing in uh, Dawn, right? And we see how she's manipulating him. And, of course, we've seen you know women do this to him. Not this particular Dawn, but to Dawn's, the Dawn in the past, which she actually brings up. So you know, we see the manipulation going on here. Uh, it, we just, I just assume she's got to have some kind of plan here because otherwise a lot of what she's doing is crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, it makes me think of that movie Absence of Malice. I don't know if you still show that to your journalism kids or, or you know, with there's that, that scene where Wilford Brimley has brought the reporters and the DA's office and he says to uh, Paul Newman's character, are you really this smart? Because he's he basically brought everybody down except himself. And Paul Newman says, everybody in the room's smart. 
and this person's dead. And I kind of get a sense here because I think what you're kind of implying that you think it's possible that Sarath is this smart that she has this long-term plan to exact revenge for her family's death. And maybe you're right. As you would say in Blackadder, she has a cunning plan. Okay, but everybody's smart. And, And I guess on the other hand, fine, I get the revenge angle, but then does she not care about her people? Because, I mean, she's going up against Empire, and while Empire is weakened, no question, you still get a sense that they're stronger than her world. Sure. So I I just don't know what her endgame really is going to be. I mean, she gets her answer. I think it's pretty clear that that Demerzel admits that she killed Sarah's parents. So does Demerzel, and again, Demerzel is that smart. So is the her her admittance meant as a warning? Okay. I killed them. <laughs> You'd be easy. Yeah. So, and, you know, you almost want to expect it to hear her say, and they won't even find your body. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I don't know. And, and, and then... I don't know about you, but it seemed like Demerzel admits she's no longer bound by robotic laws. Right. That my duty is to empire. And guess what? You ain't empire. Exactly. E- even if you marry him, you ain't empire. Right. I- at right. least in her mind. That's, so That is exactly what she tells her. And, and that is chilling to say the least. So, yeah, well, and, this is you, you brought it up. So let's introduce you because they they she does reference offhandedly that I was once governed by three laws. So we know Asimov's three laws of robotics, right? That one, a robot can't hurt a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Uh, a robot must always orders given to it by a human being, except where that order would conflict with the first law. And then the third is that a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the previous two laws. You know, those come from robot stories, uh, iRobot from Isaac Asimov and everything. Very popular. Obviously, it's what she's talking about. But she's like, you know what? I, the only, I've, I've only got, I've whittled them down to one. And it's not even any of those three. It's just I'm here to protect Empire. And what does that mean? Like, you know, is Empire – because Empire is not a person, right? Empire is the genetic continuation of, of Cleon the First. So right. what what happens – you know, she's – I think she's also saying, guess what? You're not covered under this policy, nor are your children. Well, I mean, I guess, I I mean, if you go to the three original, I mean, she's a human being. So it sounds like Demers is already past that, that law. Right. right. And at this point, you know, as she said, I'm loyal to empire and that's not you, even if you, you marry him and we get that opening scene where yeah we see constant and polly and you you are absolutely right they get their audience with with brother day but we see brother day and you know that whole idea about whether or not he should reconsider the marriage after sarah's stunt 
when she was presented to you know the people at the stadium mm-hmm. and then that scene and and again i mean obviously demerzel is a highly advanced machine and certainly we've talked about it science fiction has talked about it for decades about what makes a person can a machine be considered you know a, a person and when day tells demerzel that she'll always have a place in his family it seems to give her pause mm-hmm. and i can't help but wonder uh, is she in love with brother day now somebody might say she's a machine she's not capable of love and i guess my response would be well why not yeah isn't love a learned emotion don't you learn how to love somebody i mean you know even if it starts as an infant as a as a young child and your parents who take care of you and so i don't know i just found that scene again a a bit disconcerting because on the one hand i thought wow that's pretty cold of day Mm -hmm. (laughs) you'll always have a place you know that's i don't i don't even know what to say about that well i i'd say that was a foolish thing to say to her um because again i go back to this her loyalties to empire, right? Well, does to me that's not necessarily a person, right? It's like almost like the empire, right? And you know, again, we talk about like manipulation and things, and we can see how she is able to manipulate and get day to do, you know, basically her will. It seems like increasingly. Um, so, you know, are we going to see? Now, you know, Demerzel having to, you know, more forcefully, you know, like I think you would say last time that is she the one actually running the show here? And I would say I think she might be, right? And therefore, if, you know, Day trying to, you know, upset the apple cart by getting married and having his own kids the old-fashioned way, that seems like that's going to conflict with her vision of empire. Yeah. And I mean, certainly that's not the answer that Sarah wants when she asks Demerzel whether she'll be loyal to her. As she said, I don't want any secrets in this marriage. All right, fine. You know, fair point, but it's her outward disdain for and challenging of Demerzel that, again it's just stunning that scene where they come in to examine her to make sure she'll be able to bear children and fine she balks at the egg harvesting until after the marriage and and okay i we get that until the contract's signed or whatever but in front of others she implies that demerzel is a machine and i'm thinking wow I mean, it's one thing to let Demerzel know, you know, but then to drop that in front of others. Well, they could just wipe all their memories. I mean, well, that, that, okay, right? that that's true. Okay, I didn't think about that. That that that's a, a fair point. Can but they it wipe? Is, it is cheeky. You're right. But I mean, can they wipe Sarah's memory uh, of the fact that she knows? Demersel's a robot. I mean, why wouldn't yeah, you do that? That's a good question. 
so I, I and, and we always talk about a character and whether or not there are actual stakes for that character and i think at this point because forget the novels i mean if anything i mean the title of this episode unnecessary death and you know we'll we'll get to harry and uh salvor in, in a little bit but um you know when, when she tells dawn i can't have that monster's baby and she wants him to father the child <laughs> again i i mean look on the one hand how can he not be attracted to her dawn that is so we kind of know he is right the thing with her and and look i I mean it's not as if day is unattractive obviously he's in great physical shape we've mentioned that on several Mm -hmm. occasions but he is literally twice her age so you get the fact that she might be more physically drawn to dawn and and again their discussion about well you have his eyes well i mean or, i mean you do, you know you you don't have his eyes mm-hmm. and well yeah i do yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. absolutely yeah well and that brings us to like she causes you know a, a bloodless effing coup uh if she would have her you know children would be dawns rather than days but it's like how is that explain how that's because it's not like he's you know i don't know it it, it, i don't i'm not sure how they're genetically not being days kids but being dawns instead which is again probably very little genetically actual difference what does that mean? Does that mean then that Dawn will be at loggerheads with Day more? That he would be willing to protect those children more? Like, you know, it just right now I'm not exactly seeing how, <clears throat> you know, that how that is going to affect anything or change anything. Well, right, because genetically they're the same. I, I, I mean, we have been introduced to that con- uh, concept. I believe they called it genetic drift where over time there are slight changes, but it doesn't seem as if any of them are very pronounced. So, yeah, like you, I'm wondering, well, what does she actually think is going to be the difference if it's Dawn that impregnates her rather than Day? Because Dawn's already said, remember when she asked him a few episodes back about, well, well, you're not like him. And he's like, well, uh, I, I could be. Yeah, I mean, well, he actually says it again this time. Yeah. You know, they, they go back to that. Yeah, I'm not like him now, but he probably was like me when he was younger and look where he is now. So I'm, you know, like percentages are on the side of his him becoming just like day, you know? Right. So whether she, again, has a more layered plan than we think at this point she just seems to be going down a road in which uh she's probably going to disappear <laughs> so I, I i just don't see her plan as having an outcome that's going to be positive for her and then when jay uh jay when day gently tells her you're alive because i allow it 
Day's not dumb. Yeah, it goes back to what I said. Everybody in the room's smart. So she might be smart. She might think she has this clever plan, but Day has the benefit of experience that clearly she does not have. And if we're right. to believe that she was raised to be a dilettante, then none of this, you know, kind of political intrigue would even be part of her experience. So right. all of this is new to her. I, I just think she's walking down a path from which she will not return, but stranger things have happened. So true. Yeah. It's, like I said, I mean, really, I, I have very little evidence to back up my thought that, you know, she has some greater plan, except for the fact as as I said before, her plan now just seems so bad that I just assume it's it's like clever, you know, like because everything she does, like as you said, it's just it doesn't seem to make sense for someone who wants to continue breathing. But uh, um, but we'll see, I guess. Yeah, and, and I mean, what kind of danger does Don place himself in if he were to be caught? Because. Whoa. Yeah, but I mean, what happens? Does Day kill this version, and do they bring up another one? Yeah, they, well, they got a backup already. Yeah, so so they just you know, and his memories are keep getting uploaded into, this, so they could just decant the other guy and bring him in. So you know, and 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 Dawn is aware of it because that's what happened to the guy in season one. Yeah, you know, he got caught up in this stuff. They killed him. They just brought in. Brought in the the you know the 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 guy in the bench. Yeah. So I I guess the question for Dawn will be, okay, fine. You're never going to sit in the middle chair because you know if we get rid of the genetic dynasty, then it's going to be Day's child that sits in the middle chair, right? Right. So Dawn knows. He's done in, in terms of, you know, the, the line of succession. So, again, I, I mean, what would be his motivation? I mean, kill Day, marry Sarath. Uh, you know, there's a lot, a lot of ways they can go. And, and, again, that's this episode, I think, really is strong in terms of the overall narrative. But we're on Trantor, obviously. Well, actually, and, I, just because yeah. what you had said, just uh, a thought sprang to my mind as to what part, at least part of her plan might be that if Dawn is the actual biological father of her children, then when they do take the throne, he will be disinclined to want to have them killed. You know, but how will but, he know? Are they just going to come right out and tell him? Well, you know, but he'll, he'll know because she... Like that's their plan, right? Well, yeah, Dawn will know, but but how will Day know that this child is not really his? Oh, he won't. But that's see the point of this though is that when Day becomes Dusk, there's a potential power struggle there, right? Between the guy Dawn, who will now be Day, who would be taking over the throne, and his the older version, Day, his children. Okay. Who would so, inherit the throne? So, in order to prevent that power struggle between 
now Dawn, who will then become Day, and her child, well, if if you know Dawn is the father of that child, then then he's not gonna, you know, he he, he potentially will not be inclined to kill the child so that he can take the throne. Okay, I, I guess the sticking point for me is acknowledging publicly who the father is child is and on the one hand maybe it doesn't matter to dawn and because what i'm getting at ordinarily you do a paternity test right but that would be pointless here right because they are genetically the same right so how do you know well that's i don't i don't think it's something that's going to be done publicly at all she just wants dawn to know that he's the father so that when he becomes old enough or when the child becomes old enough to take the throne that would normally be Dawn's to take that he won't, there won't be a power struggle there, right? He'll be more inclined to, to nurture the children rather than kill them. Okay. Secretly knowing that they're his kids, which no one else knows except for Sarath and Dawn. So, all right. Well, you were right about Polly and Constant getting their audience before empire I was, I thought it was pretty cool. The you know, the, the little hologram that Harry had somehow implanted with constant and, and, and she tells Polly that she knew about it, but didn't say anything. So, okay, fine. And then again, that great line, Harry Selden, you sneaky little bastard. Yeah. <laughs> but Harry's message that if war comes foundation's going to win. Now, does he say that because he knows about the advanced technology that Foundation has acquired, or is he basing that on something that Harry told him based on you know the, the future that Harry foresees you know for these two uh, entities? You know that, that's that's a good question. Um, I, I my thought was just that we see how way farther advanced the foundation is beyond the empire right and so if it comes to fighting like they've just got the tools to 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 crush them well yeah no no who empire or foundation foundation has the the technology and the weaponry to defeat uh the empire right It, it certainly seems that way and and obviously Polly's message is, you know, we want to, you know, we want to create a peaceful coexistence between these two entities. And of course, Day's response is to order Demerzel, send the fleet to Terminus, take whatever tech is worth taking. So are we going to get that showdown in season two? I doubt it. My guess is season two ends with you know, days, uh, empire fleet headed towards mm-hmm. terminus and, and that we'll, well we got we, three more episodes. So we know, do, but, possible. but again, we've got, you know, now, now this week we, we did get a little bit of a lot of different storylines and, you know, certainly, you know, we, we get reacquainted with Hober Mallow and the spacers on the swarm, and, and, you know, we, we kind of knew this, but we had it laid out for us. 
which I think is fine. I, I think any time um, we have things given to us in concrete form that can be helpful. So, you know, we learned that Empire forces the spacers to navigate its ships in return for a drug that keeps them alive and takes 10% of their children to act as pilots. And Hober, now we, we talk about the reckless behavior of Sareth. I don't think we see that same kind of behavior in Hober. I mean, you might say, well, that was pretty reckless, but this is Hober Mallow. He spent his whole life doing these kinds of things. Right. Well, but he also did come up with this idea, right? He's just doing what Harry told him. Well, well, yeah, but I mean, he he shows that his ship doesn't require a spacer to fly it. I guess I'm I'm thinking about his escape. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, reckless in that he's, is going to be either at best taken prisoner or worse killed. So like, what does he have to lose besides though? You know, he could have maybe given up the ship a little less painfully by not trying to fight like the two hardened soldiers. Well, 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 right. And I, and I guess on the one hand, and, and it's not as if I have this, you know, detailed history with spacers, but I guess I was a little surprised about, the and I, for, I forget uh, she bends light's mother's name who is right. uh, i guess yeah. the head spacer mm-hmm. but that that she didn't even consider the offer for a moment but turned uh hober over to the empire that no i'm not a traitor and here's what this dude is is trying to do and on the one hand, she rejects it out of fear that Empire will demand even more. And and fine, you get that. She's protecting her people. So 10% is bad. 20% would be worse. Yeah. So so you, you get that reaction. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like we, we see this is just another example of Empire. Their their rule is through fear, right? Even Bel Rios, like he's tells Glewin, I need to obey my orders or loads of people are going to die, you included. Um, and then they'll just get someone else to do it anyway. So we just see how the, the, the there's no love or loyalty for the people serving under empire. It's all out of fear. Now, once someone like a foundation can come in and prove to other people that the the empire does is not as powerful or as scary as it appears, then that's when the whole thing comes falling down, right? Yeah, and Glewin has quickly become my least favorite character in the series, but I kind of liken his attitude to that of Sarath because, you know, on on the one hand, basically they're, they're being given a scenario in which Empire is is brought crashing down and it it certainly seems as if glaywin wants to jump headlong into something like that you know he he's already kind of called out bell for bowing to day's demands well he's empire why why would i not follow orders you know i forget who it was if or if oh i think it was day that says you know if, if we reach a point where and following an order is optional, then we've got 
a lot of problems. Right. But Bell runs through the scenario in which he takes out Empire. What would it look like? And as he points out, the end of the week would end up bearing most of the suffering without a ruler because you'd have mm-hmm. chaos. Right. And that's what always happened. The, the happens. The weak end up bearing the brunt of this, which is always ironic because that's usually the selling point for whatever group wants to take out the party and rule that, you know, we're, we're fighting for the little guy. Right. And then it's always the little guy that the gets guy hurt. Does the, right, that does the fighting and the dying and the suffering for sure. Yep. Something is wrong with this place. Salvor tells Gale. You know, I said at the beginning of the discussion, I'm not sure what's the biggest reveal in this episode. Well, I'm not surprised that Harry is dead. I, I don't know how else we can look at that. Yeah, you know, I, I, right. It looks bad for my idea that he's not dead. I will admit that it's it's not looking good at this point, but I'm still like maybe sliverish holding on to that for a couple, but I'll, I'll let you go ahead and talk about it first. But, you know, I just, I feel, I don't know. There's, there is something wrong with that place. Well, I think, though, as we said, there are other versions of Harry Seldon. So if this one in this body is dead, well, that's fine. There's still a version on Terminus. There's still a version likely in the computer system of the ship that it doesn't have a, physical human body anymore okay i i kind of liked having that option but we were fine when we didn't have it right so i i just feel like at this point i i I don't know but that's not the big jolt that we receive in this episode not even a little bit so is there a scenario in which salvor is not dead at this point so, yeah, I mean, yes, there is. And I think Salvor not being dead is also tied up with my half-baked idea of Harry's not dead and is that this is all like some kind of illusion maybe or something like I don't I don't even know. I don't even know what I'm saying when I say that, but uh, you know, and it's not like uh, so so here's two things. Well, at least one thing. Whatever. I don't know how many things I'm going to say. But, you know, basically, Tellum asserts with Gale that you the future is not written, that the, it's fluid, and that what you saw in your vision is not necessarily 100% what's going to happen. Um, and then, so does she prove it to her by killing Salvor, right? I mean, Salvor is dead now then she can't be around to be killed by the mule. So, you know, QED, right? But then the opposite of that is if Gail's vision is true, if she actually did see the future and Salvor is dead in the future, then she can't be dead now. And then maybe Harry's not dead as well. So that's just, that. that's my thought. The Now, the other thing with that as well is that there's, the, the, there's this curious line where uh, Salvor tells – sorry, Gale tells Salvor, this is not the time to be pulling threads, right? And then right before Salvor is you know killed or whatever happens to him, but tell him, 
Tellum says, this is an unfortunate thread you've pulled. Now that's either that's just the writers creating like, you know, balance and parallelism there, or somehow this is like the same person, Gail and, and Tellum here. And so I don't know. There's, I, I, I don't really, as you can tell, there's no really uh, fully formed coherent thought with that. But uh, Well, but I think in, in part that's, uh, you know, a, a result of what we talked about, you know, either last time or the time before that with Tellum and her peoples, with their ability to read people's thoughts, place thoughts and visions in other people's, you know, consciousness, like, like you said, how do we know what's real and what's not? And on the one hand, well, that's kind of a cool narrative device. On the other hand, yeah, but it's kind of cheating or is it just, do I feel it's cheating because I don't know what the truth is? And is that just a result of my impatience to know what's going to happen here? Because I've said, I, I think on a number of occasions, Salvor rapidly became my favorite character. And now if she's lost, it certainly seemed like her neck was broken and she's lying face first in the water yeah. so i mean when we look at harry his face is still above the water he doesn't yeah. seem to be breathing and right. he's been in there quite a while and and you know you got to believe that the water splashing around and all that face down in the water after your neck was broken that seems a tough one to come back from but like you said it just could be a visual that was planted but then for what reason? Well, I, that's why I don't know. I, I, yeah. I see that. That's where the whole thought like kind of falls apart. Right. Because we're the audience. We're, we're not there. Exactly. We're, so, yeah. So, so, and then, you know, the whole idea, I mean, time travel of a sort has been part of the story when, you know, they jump in the pod and go into cryo sleep and then pop out 150 years later or whatever. So, I mean, Gail, is asked about the mule and she tells that group that he's a conqueror. He's going to come for them in 152 years, tells them that the mule will quote upset the math. And, you know, she has their rapt attention at this point. And she makes a good statement that, that kind of follows what we were saying a few minutes ago. We need to make sure that whatever replaces empire isn't worse. And on the surface, you you might say, well, yeah, obviously, yeah. but that's not often what ha happens. And, and, you know, we know Harry's whole thing is like, we want to reduce the time of darkness. And I, again, I forget whether it's a hundred years that he wants to get it down to rather than a thousand, but, but whatever that that's his, his plan is to just make that period of darkness as short as possible. So I don't know. And the other thing I don't know is where is this telekinetic power that Gail seems to have developed come from? Is that just one of her gifts? Uh, yeah. I mean, we don't, it just seems like outliers like her pop up all over the place. And so does it seem like there's an actual rhyme or reason or any kind of, causality uh, behind their existence or not that's i don't think we've really got the answer for that okay. one so i mean does tell them 
really want Gail to shepherd her people? Or is that just one step in, in Tellum's nefarious plan for whatever? I mean, look, on the one hand, is she being truthful when she just says, I just want to look out for my people. We're safe here. Just the outside world, leave us alone. Or is there something else? Is she biding her time? Do they plan to leave at some point? I don't know. Um, yeah, the, the everything that's happening on the Ignis is just like, I have no clue where, where that's going or what's happening or you know like every now and then we even get like a, a shot where like the the sides of the the screen are kind of blurry and it seems like so is that a suggestion that what is what we're witnessing here is, is not real or something like that so you know it's as we said last week when you factor in people who can make you think whatever they want you to think and make you see whatever they want you to see well then we doubt everything we think and see yeah and i i think we were expecting to get this showdown between salvor and gale i mean you know they weren't being subtle about it and we get it to a point and on the one hand it's mother daughter and and that really doesn't even come up in this episode but as the viewer we almost look at it like mother daughter having one of those familial arguments. And I don't know that Salvor's wrong when she accuses Gail of letting their worship of her go to her head. Because True. on the one yeah. hand, Gail's human. How can it not? I mean, on the one hand, maybe a person that has all this adulation heaped upon them eventually comes to the realization uh, okay that's not a good thing i need to whatever adjust my expectations adjust my behaviors whatever so all this is pretty new for gail obviously so is salvor just mom you need to rein it in a little bit because your head's getting pretty big not barry bonds big but pretty big <laughs> so anyway yeah, well, and then, you know, like, other goofy things, like, so, first of all, we got, like, the Chekhov's boat, right? Like, uh, I, I didn't really catch it the first time around, but the, the second go-around, that boat that Salvor takes out to Harry, she sees them pulling it up on the beach, right? And they say, oh, okay, well, we're going to see that boat again. But then when she goes to take it, like, Gail pops up out of nowhere. It's, like, early morning on the beach, and all of a sudden, Gail just pops up, hey, what are you doing? Like, what like so i don't know that's there's just so much weird stuff going on gail well i like to walk the perimeter oh wait that's not me that's you yeah so uh all right what else about any of the stories um well you know polly doesn't seem to be doing well with the uh the detox but uh he's got no choice but to go through with it and everything oh uh, uh tell him does a little you know, twist of the hand, just not unlike what Day does, right? Like his his kill them all move, right? Right. Except in this case, it seemed to actually have a telekinetic effect. Right. 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 Oh, I loved how uh, the, you know with Hober and um, you know 
saying that their ships come with a very robust security system, you know. But he he stops, and, and see, here's the great thing about Hober Mallet, right? Because I mean, he has every reason to let Becky, yep, rip Glaywin to shreds. But he does. He he calls her off, tells her to get back on the ship, and and they leave instead of having you know her kill all his enemies. Which he he the escape was pretty narrow, right? Still at that point, you would think to if you were cold blooded and wanted to ensure his escape, that he would have Becky kill all, all the soldiers. But he doesn't. So, um, you know, if there's one thing that, you know, one person to root for here as a, my, th- my three favorite characters are Polly Constant and Ober, you know, that's probably about mostly what I got. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, we heard from Cincinnati Joe via email once again, who says most things are better this season, but there's just too much magic things happening generally it's just difficult to be invested in any particular story. There's telepathy, telekinesis, not only seeing the future, but interacting with it, seeing the past and other mental abilities yet to be revealed. Harry can put some of his consciousness into someone's mind and take it over to talk. One of Harry's dispersed digital consciousness can be resurrected in a body somehow, just like his dead one by means he doesn't understand by an unknown being. Then there's teleportation tech in surprisingly small devices, though it seems like it's only used to trick people. And now we have the spacers who seem to be able to communicate and possibly even travel across the galaxy instantaneously, though somehow Hober or Harry can track them. It's just all too much. Yeah, I mean, I I get what Joe is saying, and I don't necessarily disagree. I, I guess it goes back to what I was saying that it's nice to get some concrete explanations for things at some point. So if we knew we were going to get five, 10 episode seasons for sure, you know, then all of these different storylines and narrative uh, plot points would be fine. You know, then it would be easier to, you know, try to get a handle on them. But, I guess we've got too much experience with the uh, television execs to trust that we're going to get that much. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, I, I, I totally see, uh, you know, and I, I think to a limited degree, I kind of agree that there is probably like some, and I've, I've talked about it before, especially all the, the mind changing and stuff like that, shape shifting and all that. I don't, I don't know that, that that is maybe detracting from the human elements of the story, but um yeah, it is a sci-fi show, so I don't know. But but fair point, though, for sure. All right, well, let's get to the audio feedback, and we'll be right back to talk about that. This is Alan in Minnesota with feedback on the seventh episode of the second season of Foundation, Unnecessary Death. What an agonizing cliffhanger. I may sound like the proverbial broken record, but I thought this was yet another great episode on an already great show. With, I would add, a second season that has been a notch above a really good but slightly uneven first season. From a strictly Darwinian, or should I say Dawkinsian, selfish gene perspective, it ought not to matter to day or dawn which of them fertilizes the queen's eggs, unless there has been significant genetic drift just between the two of them in one generation. An obvious analog to tell him is Magneto from X-Men, a baddie whose actions cannot at the end of the day be justified, 
but whose motivations are understandable after the persecution he and his people have endured. A movie I strongly recommend that delves into the same philosophical area is the 2018 film Freaks, which is essentially a low-budget X-Men movie without the actual rights to that IP. Check that one out if you get a chance. Back to a full A grade this week. Hello to all sci-fi TV rewatch fans. Alan from England here, mostly with feedback about Foundation episode A Necessary Death. What I'm watching, I finished Manifest season one and halfway through season two, courtesy of a small payment to Amazon Prime. I am still enjoying it. I just hope there's an actual satisfying resolution by the time I get to the end of series four. Also started rereading The Three-Body Problem in preparation for whenever that series comes out. There were also two other books in that overall trilogy spanning hundreds of years, so I might get back to those two in case the TV adaptation uses parts of the other books as well, a bit like Foundation. Speaking of Foundation, Series 2, Episode 7, A Necessary Death. The necessary death, I guess, is Harry's. Uh, But as per your feedback and my own thoughts, we can't really believe anything on that planet. And in these stories, you can never believe anyone's entirely dead anyway, whatever happens. As at the end of the last episode, everyone's still in trouble, starting with the brothers. Demersal is none too happy with the marriage plans, but presses on most insistently with uh, Sarath's medical. Sarath counters with knowledge of Demersal's robotic nature, and it's never too soon to get into the three laws of robotics. As we might remember from Asimov's robot stories, the first law is no robot shall harm a human through action or allow a human to come to harm through inaction. The second law is the robot must obey human orders, except where that would conflict with the first law. And the third law is the robot should prevent itself from harm, except where that conflicts with the other laws. In a certain book, the zeroth law gets introduced, which is that the robot should act for the good of all of humanity. And then that would take precedence over all the other laws, which is kind of what's been discussed here, except here it's the good of the empire rather than humanity, but it's pretty close. And in fact, this was also referred to when Calais told Harry, when they were in the Prime Radiant, that her concern was more for humanity rather than him specifically. So I still think that Calais is uh, robotic or artificial intelligent rather than actual person. I love how they've taken this from one of the other books and pushed it front and center. Demersal says twice to Sarath, I will serve Empire rather than commit to serving her. And the implications are pretty clear. In that medical scene, Sarath is definitely seen to be able to argue confidently from any position. Demersal, however, pretty much states that she was, or could have been, responsible for Sarath's family getting wiped out. So it's Demersal 1, Sarath 0. If Demersal is a prime suspect, then Gale 
is the prime counter. Focusing so hard, she didn't hear Salvor approach. She tells Salvor to bury her thoughts. And what thoughts is Gail hiding? Is she really taken in by Tellum or playing her own game? It's difficult to tell. That bit about the screaming food was pretty unsettling. Then it's into space to see Hobermallow and the Spacers for another part of Harry's N-dimensional chess game, which then links to a meeting with Belrios and Becky. No castling device required this time, just a fearsome creature. Bell does a pretty convincing argument for, well, if I don't follow Empire's orders, they'll just get somebody else and then kill Glaywin and a whole bunch of other people. Glaywin doesn't like it, but he's with him. Day acknowledges Sareth's charisma, but Sareth twists the psychological knife by talking to him about her fabulous, now deceased family, until he's had quite enough. Sareth decides what she wants is a new dawn, not a new day, but a new life, skipping a generation, and just happens to have the gadget available to allow Dawn to be a father. I didn't get what that gadget was the first time, but I got it on the second rewatch. Then it's back to the brothers' grim situation on Trantor. Polly leads at first, until Constant goes all Harry. Nobody saw that coming. Who then baits Empire into deciding to attack Terminus. I was quite surprised Constant survived that electrical attack that was more worthy of a Star Wars Empire than this one. Salva's on the trail, and Gale's trying to stop her again, saying there are things afoot she doesn't understand. Well... I didn't understand them either, certainly not the first time around. There certainly seems to be more uh, tension and potential action building up, so that's pretty good. Take care, Alan from England. Hello Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Foundation Season 2, Episode 7. First thing I want to discuss is the fixation of the makers of this Foundation series with footsteps in the sand. I was referring two episodes ago or something like that, that when Harry, Selver and Gail were on the mining planet, that when Gail and Harry, well, artificial Harry, artificial intelligence Harry, were walking towards this big statue and Carl that now I realize that Kal or Kale sounds like Gal. But okay, when Harry and Gal walked towards Kale, Gal was making footsteps in the sand and AI Harry was not. If we now look at this episode, something very peculiar happens also. When Sarette walks towards her gynecology examination, she walks with Demersel in this kind of hallway with plants in the back. The floor of that hallway is made of sand. Um, I sent you a picture with my audio feedback where you can see that. And that you can see the steps in the sand by Demersel. And not the steps of Sarette because she is not that far. So what kind of hallway is that? Do they have servants that make it smooth all the time? And then when some imperial people walk there, they get footsteps in the sand, like footsteps in the snow. And there are even patterns in made in the sand around the pillars, circles. 
please have a look at it. It is really peculiar. It takes a lot of effort by the makers uh, to get this done like this. And possibly nobody notices it. So this is a very special kind of eye for detail. And if you now realize it, what is happening there, it must show off, well, imperial madness... Imagine you walk a, you walk a hallway, and then after that you walk there, some servants have to smoothen the sand floor of that hallway again. Crazy. What? Okay, enough about the sand floor. Now about the rest of the episode. Best quote of the episode. After the wedding, I will produce eggs by the dozen. But perhaps the other one was better. Serret to Damosel. You know all about being imperial property. Or even perhaps, I can carry his children and you can do the dredge work. I think Sarad did a marvelous job in turning around a humiliating situation. Being there on the table with her legs widespread. Unfortunately, at the end, it's turned around by Demasa telling her that she killed her family. I really wonder if that Dr. Oran secretly took some eggs from Sarette. Perhaps that was even the reason why Sarette was looking at her male chaperone, pointing him at the table, perhaps suggesting taking that glass ball. But later we learned that he took some device to re-fertilize the Cleons, and Sarette gave that to Brother Don. I must say, it's a little unlikely that that device was also in the room where they did the fertility investigations on her. That whole procedure had nothing to do with male fertility. And perhaps, after all, the best quote is, It's a bloodless fucking coop. Very similar to an earlier quote of her. Assassination by procreation. I think in this series, Sarette gets the best quotes. Although Obermallow is also good at it, and Brother Constant, but we didn't see them enough. Okay, I will now watch episode 8 and also record my audio feedback, which means that I won't have listened to your podcast about episode 7 when I record my audio feedback for episode 8, and that's because I'm going off to northern Germany, where my mother-in-law lives so northern in Germany that it is close to Denmark, and they have a so-called Funkloch there. And what is a Funkloch? That's a place where there is no telephone signal. Susan from Germany will know what I'm talking about. Germany obviously has some areas where the population is so low that they don't put any masts out for telephone signals. For Dutch people, that's almost inconceivable because we have a coverage all over the country i don't know how it's in the u.s but in that place where i will be for four or five days around the weekend where i normally record my audio feedback i will have no signal to send my audio feedback and that actually never happened before in the five and a half years that i'm giving audio feedback even when I had genetic conferences in the US or in Italy, I always managed to send in my audio feedback. But I won't uh, let this interrupt my strain of continuous audio feedback. So I'm very happy Foundation is a series that already has finished its second season and you are a little behind on that. Otherwise, I even couldn't have watched the episode in time. 
That will be all for now. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Alan in Minnesota checks in. And I agree, Alan, that season two is superior. And you'd like to think that. But again, we have enough experiences with shows that season one knocks it out of the park. And then the writers... Oh, geez. What the hell do we do now? Yeah, now what do we do, right? (laughs) And I guess that happens with a lot of artists, particularly musicians, where they Mm -hmm. put out a killer first album and then... Yeah, I was just talking about this. Like MGMT is probably, I think, like the greatest example of a band that just came out with an amazing album and then just couldn't, uh, couldn't put that lightning back in the bottle after that. Yeah. Now, he mentions, you know, about which of the three... Of, of the empire actually impregnates Sarath and whether it really matters. And I think, like we said, genetically it doesn't matter, but it matters to her and it would matter to Dawn to know that it would be his child sitting on the middle chair. But again, we'll have to see whether or, or, or rather see how that storyline transpires. I I don't see it ending well for uh dawn at this point no. so and then but, alan and go ahead well i just read uh, from this uh, a couple of things the first i love the connection between Tellum and magneto i did not make that connection but now you say it, it makes a ton of sense uh magneto in the x-men movies a character who you know again we don't like what he's doing but we kind of understand where he's coming from where, where his mind is coming from uh it's being a you know a victim of the holocaust um, and also, yeah, I have seen Freaks, actually, Alan, and I, I, you're totally right with there. Though I, I don't know if I can go back and rewatch that movie, especially the end is very disturbing. So, um, But, yeah, good call. All right. I like Alan in England bringing up the robotic laws breakdown, but I also love as when he adds ab- about the tangents to these laws from some of Asimov's lesser-known works. And it's been quite a while. I was really on a big Asimov kick probably in the early 80s. And I, you know, I've got a lot of his lesser known works as well. So if I ever get a chance, I may you know, take a look at that. Although I, I did pull out um, Foundation and Empire as one of my nice. next uh, options after I get done with Peripheral. You know, he scores at Demersel one, Sarath nothing. I might be inclined to give Demersel more than one point. I, I, mm-hmm. I really think she handles Sarath, you know, so subtly, but so powerfully. And for me, the question is whether Sarath is smart enough, aware enough to get that. I don't right. know. I have my uh, doubts. Yeah, right. Well, I don't, I don't know about smart enough. Um, you know, like, I don't like criticizing her intelligence. I, I, you know, I, it's whether she is too um, proud, too caught up in her own intelligence and everything to um, that she makes a foolhardy mistake, which she very likely already did by, you know, going at Demerzel. Um Anything else about Alan in England? Um, because we covered a lot of what Alan uh, had said, we we uh, you know touched on that during the the pod and everything. But, okay, yeah. All right, now Fred from the Netherlands. Fred, fascinating observation about the sand. Clearly, I didn't catch that. And you know, looking at the the still that 
you know, Fred gave us, I think he also posted in the Facebook group and I can't remember, but uh, you know, I don't know what it means. I, I mean, obviously when, when, you know, the earlier episode, the whole walking on the beach and the, the hologram, not, I think that's what it was, was not leaving footprints here. I'm not sure. Maybe the empire workers double as golf course workers yeah. that specialize in sand trap <laughs> maintenance. Maybe, um, maybe, but it's, you know, I think like Fred t- touches on this too. It's just like, well, you know, when you have all the power and all the money, like, yeah, you're like, hey, I want sand in all my hallways, you know? Like, it's just like a kind of an example of, like, the capricious, you know, nature of, of the, the fabulously super rich and powerful, right? I can do whatever I want, so I'm going to have any goofy thing that comes into my head. This is actually how Graceland happened. Yeah, good point. Um, have you been there? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was one of those things. We we went down. Actually, we had to go to Tennessee for three different weddings. Uh, Mary's cousins uh, lived down there, and and you know, oh, I want to go to Graceland. I'm like, really? Uh, but dude, as we were getting there, and we start seeing the interstate signs for Graceland, I started getting really excited. And yeah. wow, am I glad that I? Oh, it's I I am so like that was one of the most amazing places I've ever been in my life, just because it's. Graceland. Because <laughs> and and I wouldn't have thought to put carpeting on my ceiling right. otherwise right. had I not seen it. At yeah, Graceland. I would say this is like if you take a really poor kid out of, out of out of rural Kentucky and you give him more money than he knows what to do with it, you get Graceland. Yeah, it's awesome. Fred, I also love the quotes from Sarah. That this episode she got all the snappy lines, um, and then Fred, I. I number one have fun in germany i I hope it's a you know a fun trip i'm a little surprised that i mean no internet coverage Uh, that surprised me in a country like germany fred street continues however and and fred you know we've had this like conversation it's been maybe a couple of years that if you heck just record something 30 seconds about what you're watching and send it in then your streak continues so if we ever get to that point but but yeah as fred points out we're a little bit behind and foundation it gave him a chance to but well you know know, that that made me think like because he asked like are there places in america i'm like i bet you there are some places in america that have no coverage of anything well you think well i don't know i mean look when i moved into this house we did not have cable. Right. So fine, we got direct TV, satellite television, and you know, the 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 real estate agent or whoever, you know, the builder or whatever told us, well, you're gonna have to get satellite internet. So we had actually two satellite dishes for several years. So I would suspect that wherever Fred is going in Germany, that people that live there have that option to have a satellite Mm -hmm. internet connection. I sure can't imagine why not. Now maybe that where he's staying, they don't, you know, but still I don't that anyway, Fred, that surprised me, but maybe it's good to be unplugged for a few days. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. Well, no, there is, but (laughs) anyway, anyway. all right. Anyway, thank you, uh, Fred, Alan in Minnesota, Alan in England, Joe in Cincinnati for the feedback. Awesome as always. Anything about feedback before we get to our grades? No, 
Well, good. Thank you. Besides saying thank you and thank you to all our, our patrons as well. And just appreciate everyone who participates and gets on the Facebook page and all that stuff. It's, um, you know, that's kind of the whole point of this, you know, is we don't you know really make anything from it. We just wanted to try and have like a community of people that could, you know, talk to one another and uh, interact with one another, even in digitally. So thank you all. Yeah. You know what's surprising? I was looking at the statistics for, you know, downloads. We're still getting eight to 10 downloads a week for Lost Girl, (laughs) which I'm certainly happy about. I I found a little bit I wouldn't even know where to find Lost Girl if you wanted to watch it. You know, I was looking, I think. I forget. I'll look it up. I, I did find it somewhere, and I believe it's on a streaming service that's you know fairly common. But I'll, I'll check okay. that out because I I thought about that. How, how are our numbers in Tanzania? Have, have they well, up any yet? Well, no, I haven't looked yet. So okay, all right. There, there better be at least one. So, <laughs> all right, dude. I'm going A. I, I I just you know on the one hand I was entering with a bit of trepidation when i saw that they were trying to address three kind of four stories and how you're going to do that in 50 minutes but i feel like a combination of really taking these bold narrative chances and making these choices i'm just going a i i really like this one okay I I actually can't think of any reason not to go A either. I was like, I'm like, I really don't want to. I want to give it like an A minus just because I think. But yeah, that's but not you a have very a pl- good. you have A plus at your disposal. We I do have A plus at my disposal. Right, we're not going there. It is not an international assassin no. uh, level show, but it was it was very good. So so and and it, Hober was there and got some constant and some Polly so and, and some Bell and Glaywin. So I'm I'm good. Like I, I'm comfortable going A with this as well. Okay. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we didn't mention that we're recording Monday at 11 in the morning because uh, you're off for uh, Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that that's always nice that we get to record early. I can get started editing early. And if, if there's anyone out there who is fasting today, I hope you are having a good fast. All right, well, we will leave it there. That'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Foundation, something going on in your genre TV or film world. Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about episode eight of the second season of the Apple TV Plus series Foundation. But until then... So you mentioned the where to find the Patreon button now on the website, and I'm glad you did that because um, I thought we'd wait till the end here to announce the, our change in our fee structure for Patreon. So from now on, uh, suffering is the price of admission. <laughs> <laughs>